We've been doing a series over the years, chapters in the Christian life, and what we try to do is isolate a chapter in the Bible um, that deals with the Christian life and try to look at it and see um, how that can affect us as believers. And so what we see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 is where we find ourselves at, and also uh, 1 through 3, um, God's remedy for the unchecked sin nature. And so... You know, one of the things that God wants us to do is to judge ourselves, you know, and that's hard for believers sometimes. It's hard for people. People believe that they want someone to govern every area of their life. And you can see this on the job, right? When the boss is not around, what do people do? <laughs> they do what they want to do, right? And as soon as the boss comes around, then everybody jumps in the line. And uh, but you, the Christian life is not like that. God wants the believer to govern themselves as led by the Holy Spirit. And then if you don't govern yourself, now God has to step in and help govern you. But really, you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you judge yourself, you will not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chasing of the Lord that we might be condemned with the world, not, not, might not be condemned with the world. And so you see this is happening with the Corinthians, and it's a conundrum here because you have the, the fact that they're carnal, but being carnal doesn't necessarily mean that you're, doesn't mean that you're unsaved. Cause we, can, we can look at chapter 1, and we're going to come back here, and you're going to see that Paul says some great things about these Corinthians. There's a lot of people who believe that if you manifest any works of the flesh, it's proof of the fact that you're unsaved. And these people obviously haven't read Scripture. Because scripture doesn't say that. So let's start off with chapter 3 and we'll come back to chapter 1 and you'll see what was happening in Corinth. And so there was a problem in Corinth in which there were some believers um, that were working out of their flesh. And so if you look at the um, city of Corinth, it was an interesting city. It was a port city and we tried to go there when we were over in Europe. But uh, we were told that there was nothing left of Corinth but a canal, right? And actually, I saw that canal. It was in the news some years after then when there was a boat trying to go through this little narrow canal. But that's all that's, that's left of Corinth. Not much left uh, there but that. But it was a bustling city. It was a very intellectual city. And this is why you can actually be cautious when people try to substitute intellectualism for spirituality, right? Or, you know, in our society today, intellectualism is praised as if it's some kind of <clears throat> panacea for life in and of itself. And so Corinth had all of that. And so Paul warned the Corinthians, they had taken the things that were going on in Corinth and they had brought it, up, brought it into the church. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians, notice in chapter 1, just go back there just a second. He raises the question about them because they were consumed with the wisdom of the age and the wisdom of the world. And so they had gotten caught up into that. And I really think that you see that in the church today. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, start with verse 17. For They were or 16, they were, they were um, actually bragging about who baptized them, whether it was Paul or Cephas, and they were getting into that thing. And so in verse 16, Paul says, And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, 
Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of words, wisdom from words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And so when you talk about how someone should be saved, that you are saved by believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day, that's not elaborate enough for some people, right? Oh, no, they gotta, you gotta, can't, can't do that. You've got to take them to a little bit more in-depth understanding here. That's not enough. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power from God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, now that word disputer there, I would translate that debater of this age. Not of this world. It's of the age. And so the word age is that it's a period in time in which God is showing something to his rational creatures by comparison or contrast. And that's why I continue to say that what we're watching is a show. That God is demonstrating something and people think that he's asleep up in heaven and that he doesn't know what's going on. And the plane, somebody's nobody's flying the plane. Oh, yeah, there's someone flying, flying the plane and he's in complete control of what's going on. And he's demonstrating something by what he's allowing to happen. And so this idea of this debater of this age, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And the Corinthians had gotten caught up into that. It's not what's true. It's how it's said. It's the elaborateness of how things are said. And they had gotten So Paul came into uh, the second chapter. He says, verse one, and brethren, when I came unto you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech was not in the enticing words of man's wisdom. But in a demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There was just a lot of things going on in Corinth, as we have now found out over the last three years. <laughs> no, it's been longer than that because we started First Corinthians in 2018. So it's been a long drip. <laughs> we found out a lot about the Corinthians. We should be experts in the Corinthians, right, at the end of this book. <laughs> But notice in chapter 3 what was going on there. <clears throat> they um, had gotten caught up in this uh, carnality. A lot of it was because of their embracement of the wisdom of the age <clears throat> and the wisdom of this world. And so they were, I think what was happening here is that they were fancying themselves to be intellectuals. Well, I know that because of some of the things that he says to them. Before we start at verse 1, drop down to verse 17 in First Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, verse 18, let no man deceive himself, or really let a certain one stop deceiving, excuse me, let not one person deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this, again, he doesn't say the word world, or it's actually the word I own, it's the word age. Let him become a fool that he might be wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God for it is written. He takes the wise in their own craftiness 
And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Now you can see some of this really uh, today and this transferal of how you see what's true. Do you believe the world's view of it or do you believe what scripture says? Right. And it's always amazing to me. You talk to people and they are looking at things totally from the world's summation of what is true. And this is where the problem is. And notice in First Corinthians chapter uh, three and verse one, there were many among the, the Corinthians that were carnal. Now, so we understand carnality to be, and there's there many people who say, "Oh, there's no such thing as carnal Christians." Well, let's look in the scripture and see if it's a, such thing as a carnal Christian. We won't take anybody's opinion. We will just let scripture say what it says. In verse one of chapter three. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. Hmm. Now, I think that you can see that in Greek, in English, or whatever language you see it in. And the word there is sarkikos, and it's meaning that you're emanating things from your fallen nature. And if we just explain what's happening in life from what scripture says, our fallen nature causes a lot of things to happen that you see happening in the world today. So what have we done? We've transposed that not to be that I'm a drunkard. Oh, no, you have a chemical imbalance, you see. Not to say that one is gay. Oh, no, you have an alternative lifestyle. Not to say that one is demonstrating a work of the flesh called uh, wrath or anger. Oh, no, uh, you have, uh, what do they call it today? Um, no, it's the, uh, it was, no, it was the one where they say that you, um, you bipolar. bipolar, there you go. Oh, no, you're bipolar, right? And so this is what that kind of wisdom does. It transposed truth for some kind of goobly garb. And when you buy into it, you will never understand how to have victory. And so I believe when you look at what was happening in Corinth, it's nothing different from what you see happening today. And so you see this word for carnal, even as babes in Christ. And so now you see Paul, he says, I was unable to speak to you. When you're talking to someone who is carnal and you see this in Scripture, there is an inability to talk to them about things from Scripture. They cannot understand it. You'd be, get better response talking to that wall. They reject Scripture. They are not able to understand what Scripture says. And Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. I didn't have the ability to do it. And that word for spiritual, instead of being carnal, you have a... a a contrast here. Carnality is you're emanating things from your fallen nature. Now, how do we know that and how can we recognize that? He's going to show you how we can recognize that later on. And he's going to tell you what the works of the flesh look like. And you can go right back to Galatians and he gives that, right? Galatians 5. And he says, spiritual is, on the other hand, is emanating things. And showing forth things from the realm of your spirit where you've been regenerated as the Holy Spirit is able to produce that, you see. And so you show forth, and so you have the contrast, 
works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit being emanated, right? You have this contrast. And so spiritual, I give you the definition in emanating things from the spirit. And so his speech was uh, his speech was to the ones who were carnal. And so not everybody in the church, we can from the context of chapter one, uh, uh, surmise that not everyone in the church was carnal, but there was a great many that were. And there was a few that weren't. And so you have Chloe, those of Chloe's house, right, who had written to Paul saying, we've got problems here in the church. <clears throat> and then she talked about some of the issues. There were divisions, right, people who had split into different factions. There was strife, all works of the flesh, and so Paul's going to deal with this. And so notice in verse 2, he says, and I fed you with milk. Unfortunately, there's, as you're talking to believers and you discern where they're at, there are some things that you just cannot say to certain believers. They just can't handle it. I know that you can. I remember when I first went to seminary and I uh, learned some things from, at school and I went back and talked to people about what I was learning. And all of it was absolutely true. And they looked at me like I had four heads. <laughs> all of it was absolutely true. I could prove it right from Scripture. But they did not have an appreciation for it, you see. And sometimes a carnal person is not going to be able to do that. And so Paul says, what did he do? I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherunto you were not able, that word able is you were incapable of being able to bear it. Neither now yet now are you able. And so that word he fed is the word patizo. It's used metaphorically of to saturate one's mind. Uh, and notice the word for milk. It's a gala. It denotes the more simple and elementary doctrines of Christianity, the doctrines of the new birth, of repentance, of faith. This is from Albert Barnes. And you can see this. Hold your finger there and then turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Paul is exhorting these Jewish believers to move on from the elementary things. And I I don't know, but that in in many of your instances today in your churches, all we're getting is baby talk. Dad, 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 mama, mama, not going on from that. And really, a lot of the believers can't handle it. And that's probably why they're parked there. And so notice, you see the problem here in uh, the fifth chapter in verse 11 of people who are dull of hearing of whom we have many things to say, hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the small things, the beginning elements is that idea of oracles, and become need of having milk and not strong meat. I mean, as you, you realize that there are certain things that God has written just for maturing believers. Paul tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the mysteries are written not for those, not for everybody. Not every believer has an appreciation for what God has provided. And you can't talk to them about certain things. And, and you, you may have talked to believers about things that you've learned from Scripture. And you're talking to them and you can just see their eyes go stone. <laughs> just glaze over. They have no idea what you're talking about. And it's so sad. And it's not that they don't have the ability that when you're carnal, you're not accessing the Holy Spirit. And so there's no illumination. 
And so you're just talking, as far as they're, they're concerned, they hear you saying blah, 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 blah. And so notice verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And you've seen the little kids running around just blabbing and just you can't even make out, hardly make out what they're saying, right? That's what he's saying here, that spiritually that's where a lot of believers are. Now, they, some of these believers, these Jewish believers were for sure. But strong meat belongs to them that are, are um, of full age or those are, who are maturing. I've often said, you want to go into one of some of these uh, big churches and clear them out? Go in and actually just teach some theology. <laughs> and just keep, teach a steady diet of it. And uh, boy, they'll, they'll run you out of there before. <laughs> Because this is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. Because strong meat belongs to those who are maturing. Even those who by reason of use have exercised and really their senses as the faculties of their minds. Well, that word exercise is actually our word for gymnastics. They have exercised the faculties of their minds to discern two, two different things here. You have good, which is the word um, uh, kalos that which is beautiful in outward appearance versus that which is lacking in character or evil. And then notice he says in verse 1, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines of the Christ, um, let us go on to maturity. Let us be born on. And notice this idea that you're being born on. The Holy Spirit's trying to take you in that direction. Be born gone to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do. And so you see this idea of milk, that there are believers who are um, not growing. They have uh, given over to their fallen nature and they're manifesting things from that fallen nature. And all they can intake is milk. You can go back over the things that they learned before, but you can't tell them anything new. They cannot receive it. <clears throat> and so notice, he says, you are not able. You don't have the ability, in verse 2, for you are yet carnal. Now he's going to tell them why he knows he's carnal. This is not a subjective thing. And uh People say, well, don't judge me. Well, they're not judging you, just looking at what you're doing and saying this is what's being manifested, right? Well, is Paul judging here? He's going to say what he sees happening in their life. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Verse 4, I mean 3, for you are yet carnal, wherein there is among you envying, work of the flesh. You see that under C, that word for envying is the word zealous. Or really it's zeal, and there's good zeal, and there's bad zeal. This zeal is from the flesh, and it's a burning desire to accomplish a particular goal, whether by doing God's will or an attempt to outdo another. And so the good side of it, zeal, is that you're trying to do what God wants you to do, and you're being powered by the Holy Spirit to do it, and there is a zeal to do that. But the zeal that comes from the flesh is that you're trying to do things, and it could be of a religious nature, but you're just trying to outdo someone else. Right. And that's what the issue is here. And he says, where is among you? There's envying work of the flesh. And then you see that there's strife 
uh, the word strife is contentions that are derived from being at odds with one another. And so you have this contentiousness in which you're at odds with someone and there is um, different points where you find that you are, you're fighting over various things, work of the flesh. Um, and then notice you have, he goes on to say another thing here, and divisions. And so divisions is the, the idea of a standing apart. Um, it's in a state of which all community and fellowships and all togetherness are gone. And so you have these fractions that happen. And that's what was going on in the church. And so you divide into different factions. And you can see it where they says, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. And you have these different groups that divide. That divide and that was, was, that was happening in Corinth. Notice if you go back to chapter 1, Chloe wrote to Paul and she said this. In uh, chapter 1. Uh, so you did have some people there that weren't carnal. The fact that Chloe was able to, 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 to discern this shows that they, there was a group that wasn't. And so notice um, verse 10, he says, the first, chapter 1, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that you, there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so this idea of uh, the same mind and of the same opinion Verse 11, for it has been declared unto me by uh, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of, of you but Christmas and Gaius. Lest any of you should say that I am baptized in my own name. And so you had these divisions and it was causing contention and there was strife. And so you have people separate into these different cliques. You have strife among the cliques. Then you have works of the flesh. And I remember as a kid, I didn't recognize what I was seeing. But now that I look back at it, I see works of the flesh. You see that movie that says, the guy, the little kid says, I see dead people. <laughs> you could be in situations where you can say, I see works of the flesh. <laughs> and I look back at that. Some of these fits of rage and anger and um, strife, all of these things. And what is happening in the world is the world tries to say, oh, no, you're just manic depressive. I just struggle with manic depressive. No, you're carnal. And that's a work of the flesh. And the church don't want to say, they don't want to say that today. They don't want to say that. We call it something else. Right? No, you're not gay anymore. You just have an alternative lifestyle. Nobody wants to call it what it is. And it's just killing the church. Just absolutely killing the church. And so this is what was happening in Corinth. Now, the question arises, can someone do this and be a believer? There are many people who say that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Now, there was a guy who has a ministry over in Sanford. His name will not be called, but those people do not believe in such thing as a carnal Christian. Now, didn't we just read here? I mean, 
I didn't say it. Didn't we just read in scripture that it's, he said you were carnal? I don't understand where they not. I don't know if they didn't read or what. But it's just right there in scripture that it's hard to believe that a believer can act this way. I mean, I've seen believers say some things that you would just be aghast by. But they can do it. But and then you say, well, how do you stop believers? doing? It's not my job to stop believers from doing anything. This their relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We're going to see that a believer can't act that way consistently because there is this issue. If you do not judge yourself, what happens? Then God has to step in and help you out a little bit. And we'll see that. And so but here's what we want to see is in First Corinthians one is that even though these were uh, these believers weren't acting right and they were at each other. And look at some of the things that we see when you get over to Second Corinthians. They were saying things about Paul that was just mean. Well, his letters seem weighty, but in person, he's unimpressive. (laughs) Just horrible things they were saying about him. And yet, look at what he says about them. He's still confident of who they are in Christ. Notice verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. You see that? They are seen as being set apart. Now, this is not divorced from chapter three. He sets the tone here early on that he's dealing with believers. And that word for sanctified, that those who are uh, called out. Now, notice. Uh, He goes on, he says, to the sanctified ones in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So this word uh, called is from uh, kaleo. And then you have the word for sanctified is the word hagiazo, having been sanctified. Someone else did the work. It's really in the passive. It doesn't mean that I sanctify myself. And this is a huge thing because in Christendom, people tell you, you need to be sanctified. You do it. Do you know that we've already been set apart as a result of our position in Christ? That the son, we're identified with the work that the son did. And when you understand that, now I can act sanctified in the here and now. You see. And so uh, so they're called saints. And notice in verse three, he says they are participants of grace. Grace. See that word grace be. He wasn't engaging in a bondage there. And that, it was really <laughs> a verbless clause. Is grace is unto you. Grace is unto you. And peace from our Lord Jesus, uh, from, our, from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this word for grace is that God has given them something that they didn't deserve, that they don't, didn't earn. And really you could say grace is facing you. And Paul uses this. He always uses this as he talk. He's talking to believers in the various churches. Grace. He reminds them of the fact that they are participants of the grace of God and peace. And it's used again. These two words of you and I give you the scriptures. You can go and check those out and um, and see how they're used together quite a bit. Let's use just give you one example in Romans 1 7 as he uh, writes the letter to the uh, church at Rome.
notice he's talking to the Romans and he says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Anytime you see those italicized words there, they're, again, they're not there in the original language and that's why they're italicized. They're added for good English. Called saints, grace to you. And peace from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has not ever counted us to be enemies, but people have counted themselves to be at enmity against God. And so through the work of Christ, that's been taken care of. And so not only, um, and so you have those two things that are uh, used quite often in the epistles and, we'll, and you see those. Going back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see also that he says that these believers have been enriched. Now, could he say this of unsaved people? No. Notice, uh, if you go back to verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, well, we'll start with 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. And so notice, they have been enriched. The word enriched there is someone who caused the Corinthians to be made wealthy, wealthy from a spiritual point of view. Would you say that about someone that was unsaved? Now why is this a question? The question is, can a believer act like these believers acted in chapter 3? Well, Paul is painting the argument here in chapter 1. They are believers. It's hard to believe that when you get carnal, it's almost like, the, you remember that Snickers commercial? I'm not me when I'm, when I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens to believers. I'm not me when I'm carnal. It can get nasty. And you say, well, I don't even know that person. Right? It's hard to believe, but it can happen. Now, notice down in verse 8, he says this about them. And we'll read down through there. In 5, he says that you, uh, in 6, or let's start with 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you, Unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there was the uh, there is the certainty that these uh, people, uh, these Corinthians are going to be confirmed as blameless. Uh, that word blameless, that which cannot be called into account or unreprovable or unaccused in the day of Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think here you have the uh, day of the Lord Jesus Christ, which looks at the uh, uh, rapture. And then you have the day of Christ. It's more looking at the uh, Bema Seat judgment. Uh, so anyway, Paul had this, this um, uh, confidence about him and that they were waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see unsaved people waiting for the day of our, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? No. No. And so you have believers that when we are not led by the Spirit, that we can manifest some nasty works of the flesh. Now let's go over to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll just review some of these nasty works of the flesh. And we won't call them what the world calls them. Now the world has all of these different um, 
views of these things today. They have what is called the, in psychology, the D, the MSD book, I think it is, of psychological problems. Now, I read an article, and I have that article, and I always carry it with me in my bag. I actually copied it out of the Daily Oregonian back in 1994. And do you know, that's a very liberal paper. Do you know what they were saying then? That the psychologists were adding on maladies into this book in order to get money from the pharmaceutical companies. Many of these maladies they've come up with have not been researched at all. It's the byproduct of money. So now they are invested in telling you that this behavior is one way and it's all making merchandise of people. That's all they're doing, you see. And so when scripture tells us this, when you come to scripture now, scripture tells you these works of the flesh. And here's the truth about it. This is the truth about human behavior when it's not guided by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery. Fornication. Now fornication, <laughs> adultery is that you have one person who is married. And they're engaging in a relationship outside of that marriage relationship. Fornication is dealing with, it's a, real, a big circle for all sexual perversion. So what they're telling, they're saying in the society today, and it's being brought into the church, is that all of these sexual perversions, like all of the alphabet people and all of this, that this is normal behavior. Scripture says it's a work of the flesh. And that word fornication, it would be inclusive of all of these sexual deviant behaviors. Um, then you have uncleanliness, which is a filthy mind. You are looking at people not as people, but as sex objects. Lasciviousness is uh, outward, uh, outward sexual display. I saw somebody the other day, a grown man, and I wanted to tell him, now you ought to know better. Got his pants hanging down, and all you could see was his underwear. And you just want to say, this is lascivious. This is a grown man. He looked like he might have been in his 50s. A wannabe gangbanger, I guess. And he's hanging out, and his underwear is showing. And this is lasciviousness. This is what lascivious behavior. You know, even on our books here in, the, in America, we have lewd and lascivious behavior, Right? Until you have this outward form of sexual display that is openly out. And so people, they, I don't know what they call that today, being cool, I guess. <laughs> then you have idolatry. is when you take something and you put it in the place of God. And we can see in the New Testament, according to Colossians 3, that covetousness is idolatry. To have, if anything that I take and I want that thing more than my relationship with the Lord, I can take that thing and make it an idol. Put in whatever it is, cars, wife, husband, children, whatever it is, I can take that thing and I can make it an idol when I put it in the place of God. <coughs> then you have witchcraft, which is actually the word for pharmacia, which is uh, religious superstition. There's a component in the fallen nature of man that wants it to be religious, which is what keeps a lot of the occults and the isms going, right? This religious superstition to want to serve some kind of God. 
uh, hatred, and, you, and so you have there the uh, word for strife, um, excuse me, um, ekthos, which is the outward uh, hostility against someone. Then you have variance, which is our word for strife that we saw back in uh, Corinth. Then you have emulations, which is zeal, the word for zeal or jealousies, or um, yeah, je- jealousy or zeal. And then you have wrath. Now, I know nobody's ever experienced this in here, but you ever been around somebody? I'm going to tell you, I have. And they just really get to you, and you can just feel that inward burning on the inside. <laughs> I know you guys haven't experienced this, but I'll tell you what it's like. I felt it. And uh, sometimes you just get that burning on the inside, like, but it doesn't come out. If it came out, it would be the other one. It would be ekthoi, right? That outward hostility. But that thumas is that inward wrath. Then you have, um, uh, let's see, you have rivalries, um, which is seditions and heresies and envyings, uh, murders. And so murder, um, by and large, Satan doesn't want people to murder anybody. Do you realize that? I mean, he really, he didn't, I mean, he was, I think he was caught off guard when Cain killed Abel. When he got this uh, Adam and Eve to do what he wanted them to do, I think that he thought that he would have complete control over people. And then Cain kills Abel, and he says, what what is going on here? Satan does not want people to murder people. I think that's your sin nature that does that. You can see that with most of the murders. It's always interesting to me, very seldom, how often do you see someone cold calculatedly, unless they were a professional hitman, just go and shoot someone? Or kill somebody. Most of the time you see emotion behind it. And so it's a work of the flesh. Drunkenness. <gasps> a guy told me that he got drunk because his synopsis weren't fl- going to the top. And it was just a matter of a chemical imbalance. Isn't that what they say today? It's a chemical imbalance. And that's why now I told him, no, you're doing it because you want to do it. Oh, he didn't want to hear that. No, that's what you really want to do. Uh, and you have revelings and, um, uh, and such like. The revelings is the party spirit and such like. And then dot, dot, dot. And you can see today from the Internet that uh, there's more things being added. to the, that the sin nature just keeps going on and on and on. There are things that are, being, that are happening today you were just shocked by. You probably wouldn't even want to know some of the things the sin nature has come up with. And notice he says, um, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the past, that they which do such things. Now, this is a key word here, that word for do, and it's the word for praxis. And it's uh, in a participle form, the one continually practicing such things, you see, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so... I don't know, the world tells you, oh, don't worry about it. You know, they are making excuses for the fallen nature of man. And they just keep adding one more excuse after the other. They're making excuses. You saw the Corinthians displaying some of this kind of behavior. Now, let me show you over in chapter 11, and we'll close out with this, that uh, God is not going to allow a believer who is practicing such things to continue to go down that line. Why? 
Because if he did, then he would allow you to be condemned with the world, and he's not going to allow that to happen. So what he's going to want the believer to do is he's going to want you to be able to judge yourself. Well, we see this in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But let a man examine himself. Uh, And that word for examine is put himself to the test for the purpose of approving. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks. See the word damnation? It's the word judgment to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. And so when we come to the Lordian table and we partake of that table, we're saying that we're keeping the unity of the body. And so before we take of that table, we should actually confess any sins that we have in our life or anything that's going on should be made right before you partake of that table. Because you're saying that you're keeping the unity of the body when you partake of that bread and of that cup. And so he says, verse 30, for this cause, many are weak. And so you have these three different elements that are talked about here. And and, uh, could you say that these are different gradations of judgment? And how God is able to child train those who belong to him? For this cause, many are weak, many are sickly among you, and many sleep. And so you have this um, weakness, is the word asteneo, astenes. And I, you could see this, it's used of uh, not only uh, physical weakness, it's also used in the scripture of spiritual weakness, and I think it can be emotional weakness. Now, I know this from Galatians chapter 5. Hold your finger and just turn over to Galatians chapter 5. I believe this guy was suffering from mental, um, what we would call mental illness today. And it was a result of his um, carnality. And so notice in, Galatians, in James chapter 5, did I say Galatians? James chapter 5. It's the same word that is used here, um, but he uses another word that really gives you some insight into this being a mental disorder. Verse 13. And so he says, if since anyone is suffering, since a certain one among you is afflicted, and that word for it's actually it's a patho, uh, this word for uh, pathos, uh, so, um, come on, um, Passions, along with evil, suffering, evil, uh, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Uh, since a certain one is sick among you, and there's our word, astenes, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And notice, and the prayer, or really the vow of faith, shall raise and notice what he's, uh, how he describes this person, the sick. That word for sick is not the word that is commonly used of someone who's physically ill. That is a mental problem. And it's the Greek word komne. And you go look it up, and it's used more of mental issues. So I think carnality can lead to a lot of thing, things, and that God's chastening can allow for some of these kind of things to happen. To a believer. 
And so I do think that some of it's physical as well. You see the word for feeble, um, and it's actually to, uh, translated to the word um, aroso, uh, someone who is um, a cripple or an invalid. And so some of, us are, some of us are very stubborn. And so God says, stop that, pop, pop, pop. And you say, you're not going to stop me. I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to stop me. Oh, yeah. Stop, pop, pop, pop. And you say, that didn't stop me. Well, some people really have such a resolve that God says, oh, yeah. You're not going over that wall. Why don't you just come on up here? I've told you the story about my mother when she was chasing us. The worst thing that she could do was call us in, and we sit by her and have to watch the soap operas. That was absolute torture. <laughs> I've just, I was called in so many times I can remember the theme song of the days of our lives. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the Lord many times has to call some people home. And he says to them, my will for you has ended on the earth. Because I'm not going to allow you to be condemned with the world. That's not going to happen. And so notice you see it here. He says for uh, verse 31, for if we should judge ourselves. Uh, and so what you have there is the idea it's a possibility. Uh, you have really it's a second class condition. If we, should, we would happen to judge ourselves, which they weren't doing then we should not be judged. And they were. Why? If we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Why? That we should not be condemned with the world. And when my mother came out and we were having problems in the yard with the other kids from the neighborhood, she wouldn't say anything to the neighbor's kids. She would only say something to us. You come on inside and you stop this. She really wouldn't discipline the neighbor's kids. She'd send them home. But she dealt with us. Proof of the fact that the Corinthians were believers is they were being judged. Now, I gave you that Hebrew passage. We don't have time to go over there. You can go over there and look at, look at it. But the father only judged his children. Well, just take, we'll take one second to look over there in, at that. In Hebrews chapter 12, he only judges those who belong to him. He doesn't belong. He, look, if God were to judge the world today, he'd be, there'd be people dropping dead all over the place. Right? <laughs> he only judges those who belong to him. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 12. But if you be without chastisement, whereof you are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. See, he does that to prove you are a son. And so notice he says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which have corrected us and gave us, they gave them reverence. Shall we not much be rather in subjection to the father of spirits and live? The father will only chasing you to prove that you are a son. Well, not only, but, but one of the, the results of that is to prove that you are a son. It's hard for us to believe sometimes. And there's obviously a lot of people who don't believe it, that you have believers who can act and they can do some horrendous things. And they still be believers. But I tell you this, they're not going to continue to do it. 
because God's not going to allow it to continue. And so what does he do? He allows us to be able to judge ourselves. And as we judge ourselves, it says we won't be judged, you see. And that makes a huge difference. So as you look at 1 Corinthians, one of the most amazing things is that, yes, these are believers, though they were carnal, you can see that they had all the earmarks of being a believer and that God um, was really showing some long-suffering with them, though he had to intervene eventually with the Corinthian believers. All right, let's bow in the word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity as we look at these things that we're able to have a great understanding of what's true and that the world perpetuates a lot of things that are absolutely not true, They're not even in the ballpark of being true. And that we can actually see things the way they really are based upon what your word says. And so we're so thankful for that and that we can then order our life uh, pursuant to how you desire us to live as we are able to understand your word. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.